Long History The Southern United States in the 1500s Top 10 Events Hello everyone and welcome to Long History, where we take historic source documents and cut them into chunks of around 10 minutes or so. This is the place for history directly from the horse's mouth. However, this episode is a bit different. This is one of our top 10 episodes. And after a bit of a gap, we're going to look back on one of our documents, the southern United States in the 1500s, about Hernando de Soto's expedition around the southern states of the United States. We like to do these um, roundups of top 10 events after a bit of a pause, so that after we've digested the document a bit, we can um, create a summary or a brief introduction to the whole series. In this top 10, we'll let you know where the events take place, so you can go back and listen to the episodes if you're interested. And we've already created similar episodes on our longer documents from um, Cabeza de Vacas, Florida, Texas and northern Mexico in the 1500s to documents about or by famous explorers such as Magellan, Columbus and Francis Drake. Now these one-off episodes mean that our new document is beginning soon. The recording is well underway, so please do subscribe before you move on. Here, however, we're going to go over the main events that took place in the document The Southern United States in the 1500s written by the gentleman of Elvis, and we'll go over the events in chronological order. So this is the Southern United States in the 1500s, Top 10 Events. And really as we get going, it's interesting that the events that take place here more or less correspond with visits to different states in the US, although of course those states haven't been defined yet. And the first place Hernando de Soto lands is in Florida, and it's worth noting that when the term Florida is used in this document, it doesn't mean Florida by today's definition. In fact, means the whole of the southeastern United States as we'd call them today. So all that area he calls Florida. However, having said that, we're talking about Florida by today's definition. He arrives on the southwestern tip on the 25th of May 1539 after a seven-day journey from Cuba, setting a bit of an unfortunate precedent one of the first thing um, Hernando de Soto's men do is get into a battle with six Indians who try to fight him with arrows, and they either flee or are killed, and I believe at some point some Indians are captured as well. Here we've got a quote about the reaction of the local people to the arrival of the Spanish expedition. Here is the quotation. So soon as the Christians appeared in sight of land, they were decried, and all along the coast many smokes were seen to rise, made to warn one another. So we can see the local people clearly see these new arrivals as a threat, and quite understandably as it turns out. And the other standout event in this episode, which is actually episode 3 of the series, is the appearance of Juan Ortiz. He was a Spaniard who had survived many years in Florida, having survived a previous expedition by the Spanish into the area. And having lived for over a decade, I think, in the area, he's one of the few people, the few Spaniards, who can actually communicate with the local people. So Hernando de Soto eventually finds him a very valuable help. And this is the moment when he is discovered. The Christian, seeing a horseman coming upon him with a lance, began to cry out, Do not kill me, cavalier. I am a Christian. Do not slay these people. They have given me my life. Directly he called to the Indians, putting them out of fear, when they left the wood and came to him. So we can see how he had some friendship with the Indians, and at least in this instance defended them against Spanish aggression. So those events, the first events to take place on the North American mainland, took place in episode 3. We'll move on to episode 6 now. 
And a lot actually does happen in Florida between episodes three and six, but I'll cover some of that in the next episode, which I've called Top 10 Surprises. The next main event for our purposes, however, happens in episode six. The Spanish have gone along battling, enslaving, taking, but generally having terrible relationships with the local people. And one young man who was taken in Napoteca says that he came from a distant land. In the following quotation, who stated that he did not belong to that country, but to one afar in the direction of the sun's rising, from which he had been a long time absent visiting other lands, that its name was Yupaha and was governed by a woman, the town she lived in being of astonishing size, and many neighbouring lords her tributaries, some of whom gave her clothing, others gold in quantity. So what becomes clear at this point with Hernando de Soto? He's wandered up Florida and he's now in the kind of panhandle area. He's retraced the steps of a previous expedition, but he doesn't know where to go next. And there was a good chance that he was going to continue around the Gulf Coast. But this young man changes his mind and makes him head towards the east to this rich kingdom led by a woman in the east. So although it's not a dramatic event in itself, it's a key episode because it changes the whole course of the journey. And that took place in episode six. And we're leaping forward now to episode 9, principally, but also episode 8. By episode 8, they are in South and North Carolina and, and slip over into Tennessee. Somewhere in the Carolinas, they found this uh, female leader. And although she's very rich, she's not rich enough for Hernando de Soto. He wants to find some better and richer lands. He captures this female leader and takes her with him. And he finds out that by taking the leader with him, he gets much more help and respect from the local people. And so it's a strategy he repeats. So he tried it out with this female leader in episode 8, but we're going to quote from episode 9, where he repeats this strategy with another leader. And here's a quotation. It was the practice to keep watch over the caciques that none should absent themselves, they being taken along by the governor until coming out of their territories, for by thus having them, the inhabitants would await their arrival in the towns, give a guide and men to carry the load, who before leaving their country would have liberty to return to their homes. So we can see this is being described from a Spanish point of view, but it's reasonably clear that the local leaders have no choice in this matter, they have to assist the Spanish. And that quotation was taken from episode 9. It becomes clear, however, that the Spanish in doing this build up a reputation, a bad reputation with the local people, and that reputation goes ahead of them by the time they reach the Alabama area. And the leader has been forewarned and is prepared for the Spanish. He's not just prepared for them, but he's prepared to fight them. The name given in the document is Tuscaloosa or Tastalusa. He's given various spellings. And we can say that even until now, relations with the local people have generally been very negative. The Spanish fight with them and enslave them. But until now, they've kind of caught every new group they've come across by surprise. Here, however, the leader, the cacique of Tascalusa, stands up for himself. In this quotation, the cacique of Tastalusa asked the governor to allow him to remain there and not to weary him any more with walking. But, finding that he was not to be permitted, he changed his plan, and under pretext of speaking with some of the chiefs, he got up from where he sat, by the side of the governor, and entered a house where were many Indians with their bows and arrows. The governor, finding that he did not return, called to him, to which the cacique answered that he would not come out, nor would he leave that town, that if the governor wished to go in peace, 
he should quit at once and not persist in carrying him away by force from his country and its dependencies. So we can see that Tuscaloosa stands up for himself here. But anyone who's followed these episodes in particular will know that this ends very badly when the Spanish kill about 2,500 local people. And that's the number given in the Spanish document. Although we don't, I think, actually know the fate of Tuscaloosa himself. But the moment when Tuscaloosa stands up for himself takes place in episode 10. Two episodes later, the Spanish have moved on again, and they are in today's state of Mississippi, but their reputation is now preceding them with every step they take. And the further west the Soto heads, the more willing the local people are to stand up for themselves and to fight him. The Spanish have taken over another village. There had already been a couple of battles, and the local people take advantage of the, some distracted guards or some guards not being in place. I'm not sure of the exact detail there. But here is the quotation. The Indians, finding no resistance, came up and set fire to the place. They waited outside of the town for the Christians behind the gates, as they should come out of the doors, having had no opportunity to put on their arms, and as they ran in all directions, bewildered by the noise, blinded by the smoke and the brightness of the flame, knowing not whither they were going, nor were able to find their arms or put saddles on their steeds, they saw not the Indians who shot arrows at them. And a little later we see the result of that. There died in this affair eleven Christians and fifty horses. One hundred of the swine remained, four hundred having been destroyed. And there's another quotation which reveals just how devastating this attack was even for the remaining men, and it's the following. If, by good luck, any one of them had been able to save a garment until then, it was there destroyed. So it seems that the men were so taken by surprise that they don't even have any clothes left. And those events took place in episode 12. Now until now the relations with the local people have just got worse and worse. But there's a significant event which takes place in episode 13 which sort of solves that problem at least temporarily. And it's also quite a historic event in the history of the United States insofar as it's the first significant European documentation of the Mississippi River. And the reason these two things are connected is because when Hernando de Soto and his men cross this river, it seems to reset relations with the local people. Basically, their reputation does not cross the Mississippi River with them. In this document, however, the river is called the River Grande or the Rio Grande. And here we have the quotation of the next significant event, one of the earliest documented sites of the Mississippi. Although what is very clear in the document is that this is a very well populated area. It's the first time the Europeans have documented it. There was little maize in the place, and the governor moved to another town, half a league from the Great River, where it was found in sufficiency. He went out to look at the river, and saw that near it there was much timber of which piraguas might be made, and a good situation in which the camp might be placed. So there we go, the first significant documented mention of the Mississippi. And as I stated, when they move over the Mississippi, their relationship with the local people appears to be re rebooted a little, although the Spanish behaviour does not change. And we move on to episode 16 now, and the um, Spanish expedition has wandered around Arkansas, and the expedition does become a little aimless at this point. Hernando de Soto wants to find richer, wealthier lands, he wants to find gold, of course. But there is a sense, after about three years now, that he feels he's exhausted that possibility and that he's missed his best opportunity, which is that land that was led by the female leader. 
and it's not stated explicitly in the document, but things start to go really badly from episode 16 to episode 18. In episode 16, Juan Ortiz died. He's that man who was found in Florida who'd been living with the local people for over a decade. And this quotation reflects the significance of that death. Here we go. Juan Ortiz died in Autiamque, a loss the governor greatly regretted. For, without an interpreter, not knowing whether he was travelling, Soto feared to enter the country lest he might get lost. And a sentence or two later... The death was so great a hindrance to our going, whether on discovery or out of the country, that to learn of the Indians what would have been rendered in four words, it became necessary now to have the whole day. So here we see the importance of a good interpreter, and perhaps there's something more personal going on there. It does say that it's a loss the governor greatly regretted. In the next episode, episode 17, Hernando de Soto has another blow. He clearly just wants to get home now, but here he realises just how far he is from the sea. This is the quotation where he's asking a local leader about the sea. Being asked if he had any information of the sea, he said none, nor of any other inhabited country below on that side of the river, except a town two leagues distant, belonging to a chief subject to him, nor on the other shore, say three leagues down, the province of Kigaltam, the lord of which was the greatest of that country. And a few sentences later, we have the, the reaction of the governor, Hernando de Soto, to this news. The governor sank into deep despondency at the sight of the difficulties that presented themselves to his reaching the sea, and what was worse, from the way in which the men and horses were diminishing in numbers, he could not sustain himself in the country without succour. So this is episode 17, where Hernando de Soto's despondency increases, and any enthusiasm for this expedition just seems to disappear. And of course, the most significant event is in the following episode, episode 18. The next day, the 21st of May, departed this life the magnanimous, the virtuous, the intrepid captain Don Hernando de Soto, governor of Cuba and adelantado of Florida. And so from episode 16 to 18, we see the decline and death of Hernando de Soto. So what will the remaining men do? Well, Luis de Moscoso quickly takes over from Hernando de Soto. He's actually been quite regularly mentioned in the document and is clearly an important person into the expedition. And they decide to head back on land rather than going by sea. And to do that, they'll have to go into Texas and around the Gulf Coast. They hear hints that there are Christians in the area in the following quotation. And the governor mentioned here is the new governor, Luis de Moscoso. The day on which the governor departed, the guide told him he had heard it said in Nondacao that the Indians of Suacatino had seen other Christians, at which we were all delighted, thinking it might be true, and that they could have come by the way of New Spain, for if it were so, finding nothing in Florida of value, we should be able to go out of it, there being fear we might perish in some wilderness. So it quickly becomes clear that they're grasping at straws here, and perhaps that the local people are telling them what they want to hear. It might be true that there are some Christians somewhere in a local area, but they're nowhere near New Spain. And so they eventually change their mind and retrace their steps back to the Mississippi. But that quotation was taken from episode 20. Moving on to episode 22, the expedition members have built their boats next to the Mississippi. And this is the quotation of them setting off. In seven brigantines went 322 Spaniards from Aminoya. The vessels were of good build, except that the planks were thin on account of the shortness of the spikes, and they were not pitched, 
nor had they decks to shed the water that might enter them, but planks were placed instead, upon which the mariners might run to fasten the sails, and the people accommodate themselves above and below. So this is episode 22, where the expedition members finally make their way out of the US mainland, down the Mississippi River, and they're subject to a number of attacks along the way, but they eventually make their way to the Gulf, and that is, as I said, episode 22. And in episode 24, after a number of years, they finally come across signs that the Spanish have been in the area. And that first sight of Spanish influence is in the following quotation. They saw Indians of both sexes in the apparel of Spain. Asking in what country they were, they received the answer in their own language, that it was the Rio de Panico, and that the town of the Christians was 15 leagues inland. The pleasure that all received at this news cannot be sufficiently expressed. They felt as though a life had been newly given them. So that's the beginning of the end of the expedition. And it's an interesting ending because they come across a village and there's no great reception, no parade celebrating the arrival of these people, but they are welcomed. And it seems that the people are so welcomed in Panico that some people end up staying quite a while. We hear that in the following quotation. Some of the people who came from Florida remained in Panico, reposing a month, others 15 days, or such time as each pleased, for no one turned a grudging face to his guest, but, on the contrary, gave him of everything he had, and appeared sad at his leave-taking. So there you go, I get the impression that these people don't often see people from the Spanish-speaking world, and so are quite pleased to have anyone in their village. And that final quotation took place in episode 25. So those were the principal events that took place during Hernando de Soto's expedition. That's in my opinion, of course. This was a document where lots of little details, lots of little events took place. And if you want to hear a slightly different interpretation of the same document, don't forget to subscribe to listen to the next episode, which will go over the top 10 surprises about this expedition. And in that episode, we'll go over some aspects of more controversial parts of this uh, document, shall we say. Looking at the role of women, the relationship between various members of the expedition, and the generally pretty terrible relationship with the local people. But as this episode comes to an end, please do like it before you move on. And if any of those events take particular interest, don't forget you can look back on the original episode and listen to those quotations in context. So thank you for listening to the Southern United States in the 1500s Top 10 Events. Goodbye.